0: We're continuing our Ephesians series this morning. This is the penultimate teaching on Ephesians, and it feels prophetic because, basically, the title this morning is "It's never just sex." You can say that in church. Well, I just did, even if you can't. And uh, and it's really it's about marriage, and it's in the it, it's in the section the end towards the end of Ephesians five and into. Chapter six that we're going to look at. There we go, and and it's quite appropriate because Simon and Francis are getting married today, which is a reason why we're a bit thin on the ground this morning. There's a big uh, wedding for some folks from our church at three o'clock this afternoon, so they're all getting ready, and all that's going to be fun. So it feels like a good day to talk about sex and marriage, does it not? I'm looking out there, and you're like, hmm, okay. Not sure. I'm glad I came today. Maybe. so we're going, to read, we're going to read a passage, so this is following on from Joe Mummery's excellent talk, and there's one more to come which will be Joe rounding off Ephesians in chapter 6, which is going to be next week. Uh, and then we're going to do a Kingdom in Action series, which will include uh, taking the kingdom into your place of work, kingdom in business, kingdom in healthcare, kingdom in mental and emotional health and some other goodies along the way that's going to be coming to you later starting later this month so that's pretty exciting We've lots of different amazing people doing that kingdom in business did i mention kingdom in business kingdom in business in case i didn't right ephesians Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna start in a place you won't expect and i'll explain why so chapter 5 verse 18 and i don't know if you remember way back when i did like the first talk and we did chapter 1 verse 1 and on and, and I said how that whole section was one of the longest sentences in printed history. Well, I'm doing this because this is another one. It's maybe not. It's not as long as that one, but the sentence starts in verse 18 of chapter five and goes all the way on down to include uh, verse 24, huh, which is quite interesting. You'll see. So here we go. Verse 18, familiar verse. And do not get drunk on wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Forget the break and the title thing, because it just flows. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands that's the end of the sentence Man is the head of the household. But then there is a load of stuff for the blokes. It's like super challenging, isn't it? So, <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, Teresa and I have been married just over 40 years. And I have to say, it's been a joy. It's been fun. It's been agony. It's been challenging. <laughs> sometimes even more fun. Stretching, demanding, and we're still in love. Seriously enjoy one another's company most of the time. (laughs) And probably, which we're getting to, probably for 32 years of that 40, we lived under one way of understanding this scripture, and we've been trying to figure out what I'm talking to you today only for seven or eight years. So my hope and expectation for all of you guys out there who haven't been doing this as long as we had, that you'll be doing a better job than us really quick. All right, so we feel like novices in what I am speaking to you about today. Is that, is that okay? So I'm not coming as a... I've still got the L plates on, I've been married 40 years. See? You just know, you just know uh, that it's the truth. So. Just to next slide up, which is just to give us a bit of an ancient feel. I've tried to keep the slides simple today. I had all sorts of problems with my presentation last week. So it's going to look simple, hopefully. Um, This passage that we're getting into, it talks about husbands and wives, and then we didn't get to read this, but it talks about fathers and children, and then it talks about masters and slaves, slaves and masters. That's the section we're supposed to cover today. So we're not going to get through all those sets of relationships. So it it describes three sets of relationships. Husband, wives, fathers, children, and then masters to slaves and slaves to masters. And what it's helpful to us to realize in the ancient world, these were well-recognized sets of relationships and they were subject to uh, a lot of moral and ethical discussions in that time. So Paul is picking a recognized list of things that people talked about in terms of how do we morally work these things out. Uh, And the emphasis and the received wisdom of the time in the discussion of these things was basically patriarchy, so the father or the senior male in a household was the head of the household. So the discussion was framed in terms of basically how does the man control the women in his life, the children in his life, and the slaves in his life. And you have to understand that most households in Roman culture at that time would have had minimum two slaves, maybe three. So it's very, very common for slaves to be in even a small household. Larger households could have up to 100 slaves. So if you kind of sink into that mentality of the man is the head of the household and the household is a wife, children and multiple slaves these categories and how they should function in a a Christian environment are very, very relevant to the hearers in that moment. And the the best example of of this... But what Paul does is he doesn't challenge directly the status quo. So some of the things he starts to say people would be quite comfortable with because of the patriarchy. So notice he doesn't say, when he talks about the children, he doesn't say, Wives and husbands, he says fathers. And when he, and he talks about masters. and so, just, so it's kind of framed in a way that looks like, at first look, what they would talk about. But then sneaky Paul dismantles it from the inside and infects it with some new revelation that completely changes the world. And the example of this would be the thing that we'd be most aware of would be slavery. So it's actually hard to find in the Bible a place where it says slavery is bad or evil and you shouldn't do it. And right here, Paul has got an amazing opportunity to say you should set your slaves free, you should don't don't do it. But he doesn't say that. But what he does do, he's sneaky Paul. What he does do is say, okay, slaves, masters, that's the reality. But remember, you guys, that the master of both of you is Jesus. And remember, that, remember the context of this whole letter, he's saying how we're all equal, the dividing wall of hostility is broken down, we're all seated with Christ in heavenly places, he saved us by his blood, we're, we're united with him, we, we all share in these many blessings of his grace, and there is no difference between slave or free, and he's sowing that idea of equality into this apparent and definite inequality rumble on for nearly 1800 years and you have a Christian and and a load of Christians led led by Wilberforce who basically are the ones that initiate the abolition of the slave trade first and then slavery as a thing second in the early to mid-19th century. These were Christians because the fuse was lit in Ephesians 6 the explosion went off in 1829 or whatever the date was. Do, do you see? Because now, it's, it, it, no, no Christian would think that slavery is something that is a good thing because we have such a strong understanding of identity and our equal value in God and that he brought us with the same blood that we just celebrated this morning. So Paul is not, by saying what he's saying, he's not affirming slavery He's recognising what's really going on and then lighting a fuse for a revolution that took a while. Do you see? So there's no slaves in heaven. Uh, we know that. So in that, in that context, he deals with the, manner, the matter of marriage. Um, and remember, he's, he's inserting this idea of equal value, equal worth, profound identity that he's already talked about in a letter that we're all with him in you know we have this incredible new identity in Christ um <clears throat> one of the revolutionary things that's not apparent to us is that the women even get the, the women slaves and children even get a mention in the discussion that's not apparent to us because we think of course you talk about the women in that day, not so much. You have to remember in that day that the testimony of women bore no weight in the court of law. That's where women were in that kind of cultural environment. So the fact that Jesus had women with him being taught was absolutely revolutionary. The fact that Paul even mentions women, children and slaves is much more revolutionary than it sounds to us sitting here today. But he goes way further than that. He's he is an absolute revolutionary Paul, and he um, <laughs> he he goes he sets about this with a passion and with great skill. So the classic, I'm just trying to find the right word for this, but the classic Christian interpretation that I've been aware of over many years has been a fundamental buying the patriarchy idea of the picture of marriage. So the way that this comes out, wives submit to your husbands, as to the Lord, yeah, man is head of the household, but that's how it is, but all the the, the guys have got to remember that they've got to love their wives like Christ loved the church. So you're still the boss, guys, but Make sure you do it in a loving, sacrificial way. And that's, in summary, been the Christian interpretation that we certainly grew up with and I think is still quite prevalent. So it's like sort of man is, is the positionally the boss because he's the bloke. Women have to submit to that. But then, remember, guys, there's a thing on you. You've got to be like Jesus, but you're still in charge. Do, I don't know if that's what you would recognize. That certainly would be... Getting some nods around the room—that's helpful. Um, <clears throat> but let's join Paul in this pr- profound and subversive dismantling, because the more time has gone on and I've studied this, the more I realise that's actually not what he's saying. But we bring this old school patriarch because patriarchy is everywhere; male domination is everywhere, and it's true that the most oppressed people group on the planet is not Christians or Muslims or some other religious group. It's actually women. Um, and I think we're supposed to do something about that by, first of all, being different in the way that we approach this. So, Paul, here we go. So I said, first of all, verse 18 to 24 is a one long sentence, So submit, which includes the phrase submitting to one another. But that, submit to one another, is in the same breath as be filled with the Holy Spirit. And speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you know, don't be drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. Part of being filled with the Spirit is worship. Part of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another. And submitting to one another is a reciprocal word. that, that means is... It, so submission can mean there's someone in a high position, there's someone in a lower position, submit to them. Submit to one another. And it's not establishing a position, it's, it's mutual submission is what this is talking about. Okay, There's not a superior, inferior group or position in view here. He's saying the fruit of, the result of being intoxicated with the Holy Spirit is mutual submission in the life of the church. Okay? So that... And then still in the same breath, he says, wives, your husbands, because the word submit isn't in verse 22. It's borrowed from verse 21 to the bit where it says, wives, submit to your husbands in your Bible. If you look at the Greek, it doesn't have submit in that verse. It's borrowed from the verse before now. That doesn't mean our translations are wrong, but it affects the way we understand what's happening in this scripture. Because what it's saying is, here's submit to one another, now here's how that looks like. Do you see? Here's, here's how that works out in marriage. Submission to one another in marriage looks like this. So we have to keep that in our heads. We've got to keep that in view. Um, Otherwise, it looks at first sight, particularly because most of our Bibles have a big paragraph break there. They have a subheading. We sort of lose the flow. It goes, submit to one another, big gap in your Bible, whether it's a paper one or, 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 a, or one on your device. Heading, it's in my Bible. And then we go, oh, wives and husbands, wives. And, and we disconnect the thought from the thought, but actually it's all one part of one thought. It, 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 Sounds a bit technical, but you'll, you'll, you'll see why it's important. Um, so he's already doing subversion here because you could say that it looks like the classic Greco-Roman thing. This is a picture of a Roman wedding, by the way. Old school wedding. You could say that he's reinforcing that, but... He says something really sneaky. He says, submit to your husband like Jesus' is head as the church, as saviour. He could have put as Lord, but he put saviour. Sneaky, Paul. So sneaky, submit to the saviour. So far the guys are enjoying this. It's going to get tricky for you men. Just... submit as saviour. He's describing a saving, redeeming headship. So he's not thinking of headship in a lording way, he's thinking of headship in a saving way. Okay? So he's sneaking that in there because their, their mind was, he's think, they think patriarch, boss, their discussion was how do we get people to basically obey the bus. Here he's inserting something else, which we'll keep going. So he's talking about a saving submission to a saving headship. If we're gonna understand this, we've got to do a bit of back backstory. So we're gonna to go to Genesis one, if we can have the next cheesy slide. There's a few of these just just to give you something to look at. (laughs) Genesis 1. This is trying to depict what I'm going to read to you. Genesis 1 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every, li- every living thing that moves on the earth. So God co-commissioned the man and the woman to rule and have dominion together. He commissioned them as a partnership, not with no leadership in that pair. The authority they had was to the creation, not over one another. You See? He commissioned them together he gave them authority but he didn't give them well the man's number one women's number two or the other way around he actually said together be fruitful and multiply together subdue the earth together do the do the ruling together be an effective partnership he's not giving one at the superior level of authority over the other okay and Another place, a bit further on, Genesis 2.18, kind of underscores this. Do you remember where so it's not good for man to be alone? So this is now, chapter 2 is expanding on what happened in chapter 1 of Genesis. So you've got Adam, and, and he said, God says said it's not good that he's on his own. So he says, I'll, I'll make a helper suitable for him. All right? And we get the giraffes and the elephants and the man's going, oh, I don't fancy any of them. And then eventually God creates Eve out of the man. Yeah, just imagine being married to a giraffe. It just yeah, it stretches things a bit, doesn't it? Um, the, but the helper suitable has been interpreted at times as... An auxiliary role. So helper can sound in our language as his his the main man and he needs some help. It's not good to be alone. Let's give him some help. So let's bring the, the woman along to support the man. Alright? That that you're looking at me like we never think like that. Maybe maybe you don't, but that's how some people can think about that. But actually, the word helper. Is, is, a, is a very strong Hebrew word, which you will forget as soon as I say it, is ezeknegdo, because I can't even say it. Um, and it's used of God to Israel. Hey, ladies. Psalm 3220 says, God is the same word, helper of Israel. This isn't like an ancillary role. God as helper of Israel is a powerful role, is it not? It's a rescuing role. It's it's a it's actually an authoritative, significant role. So this idea of help is suitable is a sustainer beside. It's it means alongside, opposite, a counterpart. And it doesn't mean opposite as indifferent, it means more like facing. So actually, it's a little bit like we're brought into The presence of God, which means face-to-face intimacy with him, God is creating a woman to have face-to-face, complementary intimacy with the man. The word is much more like the USA coming alongside the Allies in the Second World War and adding their strength. They were a helper suitable. So when we think about that role of the wife, that's what they are. They're like, like the allies in the war, and they, they work together to win the war. Do you see? It's not that they were the boss or the other side was the boss. It's a strong word, helper, alongside, face-to-face with, standing together. And that just underscores this original pretty idea. Just, just just, live with it. <laughs> but we have a problem. We have a problem. Can we have the next slide, please, which illustrates the problem? They ate from the wrong tree. Remember that? So that's chapter 3 of Genesis. They eat from the wrong tree. And the outcome of that is a thing we all call the fall because they disobeyed God's single rule. He gave them all that lush gorgeousness and they went for... You can just about see the devil up the tree... They went, for the, they went for the apple or the fruit, and things change, and God speaks to them. And, and in that speaking, he, he curses them because of what they've done. And he says this to the woman. He says, surely I'll multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you'll bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So I want to point out that a hierarchy is introduced at the fall, not at creation. And if you unpack that a little bit, to clarify, it says your desire for your husband, it means two things. It means you're going to have the pain of having children, but you're still going to want the man. But it also means the desire of the woman is to overcome the man. And yet the man will rule over you. So in a sentence is set up what has been known the battle of the sexes. The woman in the relationship is trying to overcome the man by fair means or foul. All kinds of ways can be be done, and the man is trying to rule over the woman. That's the subject and outcome of the fall. Yeah? So the reason we have... Next slide. That, and the next slide... That was they ate the wrong fruit. Okay. I want to move on from that slide. Can we go on (laughs) to the next one? So the reason your husband is trying to dominate the wife or the wife is trying to be bossy is because of this curse. And then along comes Jesus and dies on a cross and redeems those Held under the curse. So the fall is the source of the ruling idea in marriage, not God's original plan. Have I communicated that? The original plan was a partnership to rule, not. A contest about who rules who that that thing came in the fall and you can see it you can see it in your own marriage you can see it in marriages all around you there's that thing rises up where you're trying to get in someone's trying to be in charge and often depending on personalities someone gives up and lets the other one be in charge and so you get those horrible statements like you know the husband's I'm the head of the household but the wife's the neck that turns me and you're looking at me like you never heard some of this stuff maybe you haven't but it's that's not the plan it's not God's heart it's not his intention but it's how it ended up so thank God Galatians three thirteen says that that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law and there's many other verses we could look at that We've been removed from the dominion of sin, the dominion we've been removed from slavery. We are restored, we are saved, but that salvation, that once-for-all incredible salvation that we celebrated this morning, has to be worked out. You're saved, but you have to work out that salvation. The thing that He's achieved for us in one incredible act of life, death, and resurrection and he's achieved in us, has to work out of us. Do you you see? We are saved, but we have to work that out. It's often called sanctification in Christian terms. It's becoming more Christ-like, although Christ has already done the work for that to be a reality. We have to work out that reality in everyday life. Okay with that? So what does this mean for what we're talking about? Number one, wives in submitting to husbands are putting aside, resorting to trying to overcome him. So they're behaving in a redeemed manner, not in a... Okay? And husbands, in loving their wives, is them. Performing the role of restoring the original partnership. If you read the whole context of what it's saying about because he starts to talk about this is like Christ and the church. This is, he's got to the, the husband's love is such that he's going he's to beautify the, the woman. He's going to remove the stain. I think what he's saying is there's a job here to restore the original plan. The husband does it by, not by ruling over the wife, but by, by loving her as a redeemer, and the wife does it by submitting to the husband's love. And so neither side is grabbing the tools of the old way of doing it. The husband's not trying to be dominant and govern, and the wife's not trying to overthrow the husband they both put those tools down and they reach for another way of behaving, which is love and submission. And in that way, marriage is meant to be a beautiful example of submit to one another. But he's addressing the fundamental drives that make it not that, that exist in the men and the women because of the curse and he's saying you've been redeemed from that marriage is a great opportunity to not live that out not copying what's happening in the world not doing this, this domination thing but doing mutuality out of respect for Jesus and because you've been re- you are new on the inside you can live out different on the outside so together The goal in marriage is to restore the original institution and beyond. That it's a powerful partnership for purpose. The purpose is not who's the boss in the house. The purpose is how we're going to change the world together. And that actually takes a lot more maturity than having a positional relationship in your marriage, which is... Because what happens if you have this thing, which we had, is if I was the head of the house in that authoritative way, I always had the trump card in my back pocket, so it didn't matter whatever Teresa came up with, well, I'm the head of the household, it doesn't matter if I'm stupid, I'm still in charge. But I, I don't think that's what Paul is actually saying here. Just like he did with slavery, he's inserting this idea that the, 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 role, the role of the man is to be the Savior, the role of the man is to bring the woman to her full maturity so that they can stand together and function in the purpose of God as a partnership. And partnership is more challenging than positional authority because it requires a knowledge of one another that simple positional authority does not require. Yeah? Let, Let me... Let me get to the thing a different way. I don't know, if we, could we find 1 Corinthians 7 verse 2? So I did, I did make the title of this provocatively, It's Never Just Sex. Do you remember that? A long time ago in this talk now. You're now going to find out why, just as we bring this to land. Here we go. Let's just read it together. It's because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his wife, his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Now, right there is a cultural explosion mutual ownership. The man does not own the woman, the woman owns the man, and the man owns the woman. Okay, let's go. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. I love that word, but you all know what it means. Some of you do. I'm not about to tell you, explain this morning. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Next verse. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Boom. That is the only scripture in the New Testament that talks about a person having authority over another person. The only one. But what's really fascinating about it is it says... The wife has authority over the husband's body and the husband has authority over the wife's body. That's, that's mutual submission if ever there was. Yeah? So there's not this permanent position of one is superior to the other, one is over the other. In the bedroom, one has authority over the other and the other has authority over the other. Wow. Go figure. For 40 years, like we've been trying. I mean, if you'd like some tips or advice, may, maybe in a quiet place. <laughs> but if, if someone walked into my, my office and, and said, you know, Andy, I just need to confess to you that uh, yeah, I'm, I'm married to so-and-so, but I've just slept with another woman, I would not, I'm unlikely to turn around to that guy and say, don't worry about it, it's just sex. So some Bible, tra- Bible interpreters look at this and say, oh, he's just talking about the bedroom. It's never just about the bedroom. Sex is the culmination, that, that the, the act of making love is the culmination of, it's the heartbeat, it's the center of a, of a marriage. This is the ultimate union where the two become one flesh. In that space, there is mutual authority and mutual submission. I don't think you could make it any clearer. So where it's all subtle and a bit more nuanced in the passage we're looking at, this sort of smacks you between the eyes. And it's never just about the sex. Because that, that act of making love, the two becoming one, is, is a unification of two people to become one, which is just like Christ and the church, who we, we are going to be utterly un- we are already in union with him but that is going to be manifest in a supernatural way and we will reign with him forever as his bride so when you work this out in your marriage you are display you are being like christ until he comes and as someone famously said making love is spiritual warfare and i get why It's coming together of two different people into mutual agreed union in mutual submission for incredible intimacy. And it expresses Christ and his church. Wow. And again in that passage it talks about if you're going to have a gap in your sexual relationship, do it by agreement. No one side has the authority to tell the other side how it's going to be. You know, getting to a place of agreement is harder than just someone telling you what to do, is it not? Okay, I thought that was good. Okay, we've got to come in to land. Done that, done that. So how how do we work this out? Well, like I'm saying, I've still got the L plates on. But I think it's important that we philosophically, those of us who are married or are going to get married, think about how we do partnership together, not fight over who's really going to be in charge. And that's going to take some time, because to do partnership well, you need to know strengths and weaknesses of one another. So there's times when... They're not trivial, but they're examples. Like for us, I have a pretty good sense of direction. Teresa, if she thinks it's left, it's always right. And we have, sometimes in the desire to see her grow in her area of weakness, I have submitted to her in giving directions. And we have ended up a million miles on some really interesting journeys, but not very close to where we're supposed to go. So generally in our relationship, the strength that I have in in pigeon brain directions is submitted to by Teresa. When it comes to decorating our house and internal decor, I submit to her because she's great at it and I don't care enough. And I live in a beautifully decorated home. I like the outcomes. Sometimes I don't understand how it's going to work in the conception phase. (laughs) And there is debate and discussion, but ultimately we've had this many times. Love, I submit to you, this is what I would do, but if you want to do that, let's have toucans on the wall. (laughs) For, For instance. And it works. It totally works. They're beautiful. So are you with me? That takes a bit of you don't always do what the boss wants. It takes finding out who's good at what and honouring and dis- and pulling that out of one another. And uh, I'm hoping it take- you guys get it quicker than 40 years. This is just a big deal. The next thing is decide together. I mean, this is particularly important on big things in marriage, whether it's money, having children, big expenses, moving, locations, job changes, you've got to decide together and you've got to decide together in a way where one's waited for the other till you come to mutual agreement. So an example, when uh, we were thinking about and praying about moving to Scotland from Newcastle, I really felt it was the right thing to do, Teresa thought it was a stupid thing to do that i mean if you do that wrong that is a relationship threatening position so so i'm like god if this is you i am not here to be god to her and pull out that card and go you have to do it because i'm in i've heard god and i'm the boss i think if this is you you're big enough to speak to her on her own and he did in fact, he spoke to her more clearly than he spoke to me. you know what's going on? But then we could make a together decision that we were united about. Yeah? But that mean, meant me waiting and not doing this man thing. It requires taking time to develop intimacy not having a marriage relationship that is all about doing things so it's very functional the more kids you have uh life gets busy we had four children it's really difficult to get time that's you and your partner face to face developing intimacy you're not just sitting there trying to decide what you're going to do with the kids taking them to ballet lessons, on and on and on and on and on. We we made a commitment early on that our relationship was actually more important than giving the children time because they were going to grow up in the environment that we created. So we prioritised stuff. still busy, still crazy, still... We didn't do ballet lessons, but we had, you know, violin and cubs and on and on and on. But actually, if you don't... The core of this thing is not somebody in charge. The core of this thing is a partnership of intimacy out from which flows grace and anointing and blessing to your children. That thing needs to be in harmony, otherwise the whole family and beyond is going to feel the outcome. And it needs a lot of encouragement and calling out the good and the gold in one another to see that happen. It takes time to talk about just how you're doing rather than where we're going on holiday and what we're going to buy the kids for Christmas and you know, add 24,000 other things that you've got to decide as a couple. If it just becomes functional, intimacy starts to go out the door and that sex thing that we talked about starts to become a bit more difficult and people start to have a marriage but they start to drift apart in, inside the marriage. And the kids know it just saying, tips from 40 years of making it work date night is like we could feel it, if we let date night go, we could feel the effect after a little while it affected us so guys, I can feel the owie a little bit so why don't, why don't we just stand as we, and, and I'm just going to pray for you, I'm not going to call you to the front if you want to renew your marriage, alright don't don't <laughs> You want to repent of being bossy. You want to repent of being manipulative. Do that in your own time. Um, but I would recommend you do. If God's spoken to you about that, don't leave that. It's going to change your life and change those of you who have children or plan to have children. It's going to change their lives by the atmosphere that exists between the, the two of you in your home. So I'd like to pray a couple of things. I'd like to pray for, and, and, and I want you to know that I'm joining in, like, as I said, l plates. so for all of us to lay down our old weapons, like trying to be in charge, trying to win the argument, trying to be the most powerful in the relationship, maybe it's for nobody else, but I'll pray it for me and you can join in, how's, how's that, this applies to men and women. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible vision of, of restored union, of restored beauty of union, of, of men and women partners in seeing the kingdom come to the earth. And Father God, I, I pray for each one of us that we would put down the tools of the old man, of the old way, of the way of the fall, of, uh, of trying to usurp authority or do... Uh, exercise ruling authority i pray god that uh, for each one of us and for me that we just lay aside those old ways and we'd embrace developing intimate beautiful partnership with our partner that we'd embrace calling out the good things in them submitting to their strengths <clears throat> and seeing them become more and more christ-like Father God, I pray for every man in this room that you'd see his job of making his marriage more like Jesus in the church and more like what we see on the screen here, the original commission of a partnership that's powerful to change the world. And, and I just want to pray for one more thing because I think in, in life and in the way of things that are scars, when this goes wrong and there is guilt if you're sitting there thinking oh my goodness I never thought like this I want to pray for you as well so feel free to lay hands on yourself but Father just where there's been scars if there's guilt if there's regret uh, things that I have struggled with as i re-understood this I just pray for healing for forgiveness for favour that would really heal up hearts and reposition hearts to function healthily and powerfully uh, going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.